0: My favorite definition of trauma is it's anything that overwhelms our coping capacities. And through that inquiry and and looking at myself and and doing my own healing work, I started to see that self-sabotage is often an intelligent response to impossible binds that we face in childhood. These are survival strategies. Now, they may be outdated in adulthood, but there is a reason that they're there and uncovering that is a big part of learning how to step outside of them or at least gives you an option to choose welcome
1: to the mother honestly podcast this is your host blessing addition founder and ceo of mother honestly on this show, we interview ambitious women that are thriving in and beyond motherhood. Expect honest and real conversations that will encourage and inspire you to take actions on your dreams. Hello, thank you so much for joining the Mother Honestly podcast. My name is Kristen Hall. I'm the COO of Mother Honestly and your host for today's episode. We are coming to you live from Motor City Woman Studios, based in Detroit, Michigan, who is our gracious podcast sponsor, and I am so, so thrilled to have Iris McAlpin join me on the podcast today. This is someone I've been following on Instagram, and thank you to some of my junior league ladies who have followed you as well and sent me over a lot of your articles, and she is a certified trauma coach, um, NARM practitioner, and she specializes in self-sabotage, eating disorder recovery, and complex trauma. Iris, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. I'm so thrilled to have you here.
0: Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here.
1: Awesome. And so would you be so kind and tell our listeners a little bit more about yourself and your work and kind of what's brought you on this journey?
0: Sure. So, so as you mentioned, I'm a trauma coach and NARM practitioner, and NARM stands for the Neuro Effective Relational Model, and it's a model for working with complex developmental and relational trauma. And I'm really passionate about that because I struggled with my own mental health for a very long time. I started dealing with depression and eating disorders at a young age, and that kind of continued unchecked for a a large portion of my life. And it turns out these are symptoms of trauma. And I knew that I had trauma, but I didn't really make the connection for a long time and, and didn't seem like anyone else was either, and so when I started doing research about trauma and what happens in the body and mind as a result of that, little pieces started coming together in a way that they never had before. And so I became kind of obsessed <laughs> with understanding trauma. And so in the last couple of years, I've, I've done hundreds of hours of training in trauma. And that's really at the core of the work that I do now.
1: And for those of you that don't follow us, Iris on Instagram, I would absolutely tell you to check out what she's doing. It's at Iris McElfin on Instagram. And there's a couple of posts that have really resonated with me and I know are going to hit very, very strongly for a lot of our listeners. Um, you know, our mother, honestly, what we focus on is ambitious women. We always say, you know, ambitious moms, that the development of that, but we welcome, you know, women and men of all ambition. But one we often see is that being so ambitious and being so driven, we are our own worst enemies a lot of the time. And we, you touched a lot on like ways that we're putting, you know, we might be putting too much pressure on ourselves or how we're self-sabotaging. And that, you know, for me personally hit home. And I know it's something that moms, especially right now, are trying to balance being home, having kids, doing all this, it's just things are falling apart. What can you tell me from your work and what you're seeing? And I know that's going to resonate pretty strongly.
0: Yeah. So people don't necessarily think of putting pressure on yourself as self sabotage, but I absolutely consider it to be that because it's, it's kind of a heavy burden to bear. It's very normalized in our culture. Like, Oh, I'm hard on myself. I beat myself up. I have negative self-talk. These are things that a lot of my clients say, and a lot of them struggle with and, and that's sort of culturally supported. The thing is, though, when we're putting pressure on ourselves, it makes everything that we're doing feel a little bit harder, maybe a lot harder, depending on how much pressure you're putting on yourself. It takes, it sort of like sucks the life out of whatever whatever it is that you're doing. And it makes it difficult to access, you know, our authentic expression and inspiration and aliveness and pleasure and all of these things that a lot of people say that they want for themselves and this doesn't happen for no reason so this actually has its roots in developmental trauma and you know if we grow up in an, an environment where being just sort of unabashedly ourselves is not welcome and following our natural inspiration and pleasure is is not allowed or we're chronically in trouble those things start to shut down there are a lot of different motivations for action. There's pleasure, there's anger, there's inspiration, there's desire. And when we don't have access to those, the thing that's left is pressure. And so when that's a repeated pattern for us and pressure becomes our primary source of motivation, and we know that there are a lot of things that we want to get done, then we, we tend to rely on self-pressure to be our, like our fuel for our engine and, and, it, and it can work, you know. It, a lot of people who pressure themselves are very successful, but a lot of the work that I do is helping access or helping people access some of these other sources of motivation that can be more fun and enlivening than just beating ourselves up.
1: Yes, it's definitely a balance between, you know, with great success, sometimes it can work really well, but it can also have that negative um, connotation. And I think there's, um, in some of the work that you've done, I've also liked that you're really bringing awareness to the mental health issues that are affecting a lot of people. And it's still, unfortunately, um, it's getting talked about more, but it's still yeah. not something that we all address. And I will be, you know, candid in saying that I've throughout my lifetime struggled with depression and anxiety and it's something that I've had to manage so you know you have these conversations with people and they're like you guys get so much done you're so high functioning and how do you do it and it's like well yes but there's always you know I just had another kind of guest on the podcast and you know the grass and the vision that we see on Instagram or what we take away from photos and stuff is not always the entire story and that sure. get open up and share with others that it's okay to have past trauma it's okay to have these experiences but how do we recover from it and how do we keep growing from it and there's one thing that I love and I hope for our listeners to please consider is that you are doing an online program to help heal self-sabotage and it's kicking off October 4th can you tell me a little bit about what started that program and how our listeners can get involved
0: Yeah, so the program started because I used to be a world-class (laughs) self-saboteur, and um, it was something that I didn't understand for a long time, and it was the kind of thing where, you know, I had these goals, these things that I wanted for myself, and it seemed like the closer I got, the more I was getting in my own way, and that was very frustrating for me, very baffling. I was shaming myself about it. I thought there was something wrong with me. And then, you know, as I continued through my recovery and and started learning more about complex trauma, I started to realize that this also was a symptom of something deeper. And through that inquiry and and looking at myself and and doing my own healing work, I started to see that self-sabotage is often an intelligent response to impossible binds that we face in childhood these are survival strategies now they may be outdated in adulthood but there is a reason that they're there and uncovering that is a big part of learning how to step outside of them or at least gives you an option to choose when things are unconscious and they're just running automatically, it's very difficult to just choose something else. But bringing it into consciousness helps us make more informed decisions as adults. So I actually have a free masterclass available on my website. It's on the Bloom page as well. And there you can kind of get, it's it's about an hour and a half video that goes pretty deep into the the philosophy behind my program, Bloom, and even if you never take the program, it can be a really helpful tool for people. And so you touched on
1: a lot of great points and I think it'd be helpful to kind of, for our listeners that may, this might be the first time kind of recognizing, you know, I might have something going on in my past that I'm not recognizing. What are some of those survival strategies that you see from kids that don't necessarily play out well into adulthood and how can we begin to help people identify? Oh. I might need to go a little deeper
0: in this. Yeah, people pleasing is a big one that I see. Procrastination, negative self-talk and self-pressure. You may not see this as outwardly in children, but a lot of, a lot of times this does start in childhood. Things like binge eating, which I know children can experience, and throwing tantrums, being in denial, and you know, picking fights to get attention. These are all, I mean, there are a lot of different self-sabotage strategies, but these are some of the ones that we see a lot with kids.
1: No, that's perfect. And I know even those top three, just for a lot of our listeners are gonna really hit home that people-pleasing, the procrastination, the negative self-talk. Um, it's one, I think any one of those categories is gonna hit home for people. And so I love because on your Instagram as well as your blog posts in the, and you do coaching as well. So people have the ability to reach out to you if they'd like um, to do coaching as well is that you really kind of dive deep into these topics and it opens up a way for people to have that curiosity of what's yeah. going on with them and discuss it with others. Because sometimes what we recognize in others allows us to see it in ourselves. So, you know, even the, you're laughing about the, or I was laughing to myself rather about the childhood ones. And I remember uh, my aunt told me the story and I don't remember it, but I must've been like four or five when we went putt-putt golfing. And I was so upset that I didn't get a hole in one. And I was like, I hate myself. I'm not good enough. Mm. And so it was, I think after I got into one of my jobs and she was like, do you know, as a child, you used to, and I was like, well, it makes a lot more sense now with how I am. But it that story kind of resonated for me because it's that I've always fought that inner, in which a lot of women struggle with, you know, the you're not good enough, it's that you're never going to make it, the imposter syndrome we see a lot, especially as Absolutely. women climb the corporate ladder, that we feel we can't compete with the men in the realm, whereas men, for the most part, kind of 50% all in, think they can do everything. Right. So, what as I'm sure you've gotten a lot of outreach from uh, women and men as it relates to COVID, um, mm, yeah. are you seeing more of these kind of past traumas magnifying because we've just flipped the environment on its head?
0: Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's really unfortunate to see because this is such an uncertain situation. And most people don't enjoy uncertainty. So it's bringing up a lot of anxiety, it's bringing up a lot of fear, which I kind of distinguish as slightly different things. And people are, you know, stuck at home, they're not connected to their usual emotional and social resources. And that can feel very isolating. And even if you're, you know, well, maybe even especially if you're at home with a spouse and kids 24 seven, that's a lot of external pressure. And so if we're also putting internal pressure on ourselves, that can become overwhelming. And so these are things that I'm, I'm seeing a lot. And I actually did a podcast with one of my teachers, I can send you a link where he kind of talks about managing feelings of uncertainty and helplessness in a global trauma because that really is what we are experiencing right now. This is a global trauma. Most of us don't have coping strategies for this because it's never happened before. And my favorite definition of trauma is it's anything that overwhelms our coping capacities. And so this is it. I mean, this counts for sure. And so, you know, I, I just I know this can be easier said than done, but I really encourage people to be patient with themselves and compassionate toward themselves. This is hard, this is stressful. Even if you feel like you're luckier than other people, our, our nervous systems don't really have the ability to say, like, oh, you know, Susie over there is having a harder time, so you shouldn't feel stressed. Our nervous system only has access to our own direct experience. And so if you're struggling, you're struggling, and that's valid, and it doesn't matter if someone else is struggling more.
1: That's a great perspective. And I know that's when we've heard a little bit is some people that, you know, I haven't lost my job or my family's still healthy. I still am able to do things that we put this then additional layer of stress and burden on ourselves. Um, and one of the best things that I would heard and you know, from my therapist, which I, I love having that weekly check-in with her, is that we all are going through the same experience. We're just having different components and different experiences to the same you know, global trauma. And one of the posts that you had the other day, I think, again, I, I love when you post, I think you have some really great, you know, thought-provoking Thank ones, you. is that you you talked about if people are resting, um, but they're guilting or shaming themselves for not being productive the whole time, that's not actually rest. And I think as yeah. moms, if we, we have trouble with the downtime, we have trouble that the dishes are piling up, the laundry's piling up, my job's doing this, you know, even today, I walk, had to walk by my kitchen because I'm like, nope, I've got corporate calls, <laughs> I've got podcast reporting, no. I will get to the dishes later. Um, and then it's one way you sit down, you know, how do you how do you help people get out of that cycle of like, that go, 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 you don't always have to be productive, you can have unproductive rest.
0: Yeah. I mean, especially for people that are more type A and, and very ambitious, one of my little catchphrases is self-care isn't just another thing on your to-do list. It's what helps your to-do list get done. If we are constantly going, 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 running ourselves into the ground, it's kind of like trying to get everything done with one hand tied behind your back. And so kind of shifting that orientation toward rest and self-care as a necessary part of productivity you know, there's a, a cultural conversation that's shifting in athletics where it used to be, you know, you're supposed to work out every day and what's emerging is this new emphasis on recovery and that recovery actually enhances athletic performance. And it's similar in terms of, of resting in our lives and productivity. It It gives us more energy. It's not like a zero-sum thing if you're taking away an hour to rest that doesn't really mean you have an hour less. It just means with the hours you have left, you're going to actually have more fuel in your tank to get those things that you want to get done done.
1: I, I haven't heard that perspective. And I think that's really powerful is you know, because everyone's always saying we all have the same 24 hours in a day. How are you going to get these 26 things done um, but I like that you frame it as it's not, it's not a takeaway. It's I can still take an hour here and then be more productive in the hours coming up instead of all, you know, every waking hour has to be go, go, go. And I think that's something, you know, as our listeners, as you're joining today, I think, begin to think about how has our childhood trauma, you know, we all have it, whether or not no one got through childhood without any trauma. So let's for just sure. level that one right out that, you know, at some point or the other, you know, thanks mom and dad or whatever environment we grew up in, there's still going to be some sort of kind of trauma associated with the childhood. Um, But really kind of taking a step back and saying, you know, we sometimes people will say self-care can be such a dirty word because they're like, it's, you know, having, taking a bath or that, if that's what works for you, great. But self-care is finding that thing at least the way we always look at it is how can you do something for you that recharges for some people, you know, it can be across the gong. It's not just the, sometimes I think it falls into that beauty wellness space and we don't necessarily say, yep, that's kind of what it is, but you also touch on, you know, we're in this grind culture of everything's got to be measured by the productivity that we're doing. And I love that you continue to hit on those really, you know, it's two different rhetorics that we're hearing. We're on the one thing that if you want to get to the top, you have to work very hard, you know, struggle, grit, all that. And then it's, up against this other one that that's not necessarily the the path for everyone is just to grit and spit and determination doesn't necessarily always get you there or it could but not necessarily in the mental framework that you want to be in
0: right exactly yeah
1: and one of the things I love could you tell me a little bit more about how you approach your practice and I think that's going to resonate with others as well is that you've kind of broken down your methodology of approaching these traumas and what that
0: looks like so just to be clear on your question, my own sort of personal practice that I do for myself or the work that I do with my clients? The pillars
1: of your practice that you help have kind of developed for um, when you work with clients.
0: Got it. Yeah. So, I mean, there are a number of different things. I mean, the, the first piece is really about consent and, you know, I think in. in there are a lot of therapists that are great about this, but there are some that aren't where there's, there's sort of an agenda and it's like, I know what's best for you and you know, what I think you need to work on is what we're going to work on. And I approach it pretty differently where it's really all about what you want for yourself. And, and there's always an option to say, no, you know what? I don't actually don't want to explore that. And I think that's really important because as part of you know, childhood trauma that most of us have experienced, we don't have a lot of say in how things go as children. And this can erode our sense of autonomy. And so bringing that back into the the relationship in my coaching relationships is is essential for people to reclaim their sense of agency, reclaim their sense of autonomy, and to feel like they're truly in the driver's seat of their own healing process. And of course, I'm there along the way to be supportive and, you know, gently point out things if I feel like something needs to be worked on. But if if that's not in alignment with what you want for yourself, then we don't go there. And so that's, that's important for me. And it's also participation. I mean, I can't do things to you. You have to be an active participant in your own healing and some people don't like that because, you know, I think our culture kind of trains us for instant gratification. It's like, okay, I'm just going to sit here, you're going to fix me and this is going to be great. And I don't have to like cry or do anything or like look at my past. And I wish it were that easy. That would, that would be lovely, but unfortunately it doesn't work that way. So, you know, being an active participant is really important. And another thing, I mean, there are a lot of different features of my practice, but another piece that I think is important is, is really focusing on the present. A lot of modalities are all about like, okay, so, you know, tell me about your mother, like, what's the biggest trauma you've ever experienced? And it's kind of like digging around for these things. And in the modality that I practice, it's very present focused. And there's sort of this trust that, whatever needs to be processed is going to present itself in the here and now and of course things from your past will inevitably come up organically but we're not digging around for the traumas and you know until we process a lot of these things the past is in the present and so we are approaching that from a very phenomenological present oriented approach which i think for a lot of people feels more gentle and less invasive
1: And what I thank you for sharing that, because what I like about that for people that may not have had the opportunity or necessarily, you know, breaking through that surface of saying, you know, it it might be helpful to talk to someone, it might be helpful to finally reach into that space. What I like about those three pillars of your multiple pillar program is that even as people explore this wherever they are, they can kind of look and say, no, those are three things that I should look at when I enter into any sort of kind of treatment that I'm yeah. consenting to what's going on. I'm in active involvement in, you know, to your point, you're not just, I'm not going to come in, you're going to fix me or that, it's got to be a two-way street, and that, you know, some, you always, people are afraid they're going to go sit on the therapist's couch, and it's just going to be, you know, tell me about, we're just going to dive deep into those past ones, and it yeah. it changes the rhetoric, and I think we still have some of those Unfortunate biases against people might hold about going to seek out therapy or seek out counseling. That if we can continue to have these discussions about how important it is to address mental health, it makes it less taboo and it makes it less scary. So I appreciate you sharing that with our listeners. And I would like to ask before we conclude, you know, for you on a professional and personal level, it's been a very challenging year. Holistically, just who knew this is where we're going to be in 2020. You know, yeah. what are you hoping to kind of move into as the year continues on or as we transition from summer to fall? I know that can also be a very triggering experience for a lot of people as well The seasonal changes. You know, what
0: do you have professionally and personally on your plate coming up? Yeah, so, I mean, I've got a lot going on right now. I'm actually in, in graduate school um, and I'm, you know, running my program and working full time in private practice as well. So, for me, you know, those things are just kind of consistent throughout the year. So I don't have anything specific that's coming up. And I think, you know, for me, a lot of people do ask me, like, how are you juggling all these things? You know, how are you managing to still post and like do podcasts while you have all these other things going on? And I think kind of to tie this back into our original topic is that, you know, I've, I've really in the last couple of years uncovered just how much pressure I was putting on myself and how much weight that was adding to the tasks at hand. And now that I'm doing that less, I think there's still more for me to, you know, peel back there. But the more I do, the the more energy I have available to me. And, you know, I have a lot of practices for self-care and have different friends that I kind of have different check-ins about know have one we chat every week about what we're doing for self-care i have another one that you know is help helping me motivate to get in my daily movement of some kind and you know accountability around business there's people that i have these sort of anchor checkpoints that really help me because especially right now we are kind of isolated or very isolated in some cases and so having regular connections with people that I care about that are where we're sort of working together on these shared goals has been really really helpful for me and I definitely recommend that if that's something that is possible for you.
1: I think that's a great approach and one you know for our listeners consider having you know not one person one thing is going to solve every element and that to your point you mentioned that you have different kind of friends or that they reach out to that handle different kind of topics within your life. That's a great way to approach it. I think that's something our listeners can take away is that, you know, your best friend may not be able to cover all of it, or your spouse may not be able to cover all of it, but there's others around that you can engage. And Iris, how can people reach out to you? What's the best way to follow what you're doing and keep up with the great work that you're doing?
0: Yeah, so people can find me on Instagram. It's just at Iris McHelpin. And my website as well. And my email address is just iris at irismcalpin.com So these are all ways that you can find me and reach out to me. Awesome. Thank
1: you so, so much for joining us on the podcast. I was so excited to have you as a guest today. I love what you're doing. It's something that I'm following uh, personally and professionally. So thank you so thank much you. for joining us on the Mother Honestly podcast. I wish you all the best. And again our listeners will include all of this in our show notes and on our socials so please check out iris if you haven't had the opportunity wishing you the best rest of your day i hope you are doing something fun as we mm-hmm. head into the weekend but thank you again thank so you. much for being a guest
0: yeah thank you so Thanks much for, for having me. me
1: thank you for tuning into the mother honestly podcast if you want more relevant content for the ambitious mom Head on over to motherhonestly.com and follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Mother Honestly. Love our podcast? We want to hear from you. Please rate and review our podcast and subscribe to the podcast so you never miss an episode. We love growing at Mother Honestly and your reviews help us grow. Stay safe, stay well, and always stay ambitious.